Christendom is dead. It's the first thought that came to me when I read this gospel. Christendom, as we know it, has died. So I'm going to explain what that means in one way that we can respond to that reality. When I was traveling around for vocation work the past two weeks, it brought me to Minnesota at one point, and I went to visit the cathedral. And it was one of the most incredible sights I've ever seen, especially in America. It was like a mini Vatican. It was just towering over the city. It was just one of the most richest, beautiful cathedrals I've ever seen. And as we were driving away, you could see it standing over the whole city, like Catholicism in its prime, just like flexing its muscles over the city, like, what's up now? And I look up, and I'm with the priest, and I go, you know what? That's what we need to bring to Idaho. And he just shook his head, and he said to me, no, that time has passed. Christendom has died. And what he meant was that the time when Catholicism was rich and powerful and influential and society was governed by Christian principles where we just accepted the word of Jesus Christ as sacred and govern our lives according to that. And to not do that puts you outside the norm. That time is over. All we're left with in our times is the widow's might. A few small coins to offer from our poverty in our devotion to Jesus Christ. And Bishop Fulton Sheen, he saw this happen in the 1970s, and he warned America of it back then. He said, we are at the end of Christendom. Now, not Christianity and not the church. Christendom is economic, political, social life as inspired by Christian principles. That is ending, and we have seen it die. Look at the symptoms. The breakup of families, divorce, abortion, immorality, a general sense of dishonesty. We live in it from day to day, and we do not see the decline. We take it for granted. We get used to things and almost accept them as the new rule. The press that we read, the TV that we watch, is in no instance inspired by Christian principles in our times. So he's saying we're no longer living in a society that used to be, for the past 1,500 years, governed by Christian principles. And I've been thinking about this. This really hit me in the face much more after coming to BSU to work. Because it's not enough when we're going on campus and talking to students. It's not enough just to ask them if they're Catholic, if they're Christian. Because what they'll do is they'll nod their head and say, yes, I am. I'm like, great, so where do you go to church? Well, I haven't gone since I've come to college. Do you read the Bible? No. So what really makes you any different from your atheist friends that you're with? And they don't have an answer to it. So Christianity in our time, it went from something that you live, something that embodies you, something that governs your life, your thoughts, your actions. Now it's just a name that was passed down from our parents that doesn't have any bearing on who we are as individuals. And I had an all too common experience with a young woman the other day. I approached her. She said she was Catholic. And I asked, you know, do you ever come to Mass? I haven't seen you there. And she said, no, I've been here for a couple years, but I have never gone. And at one point she was talking about the Catholic faith and she said, you Catholics. And I was like, wait, I thought you just said a second ago that you're Catholic too. She goes, well, yes, I am. Like my, my family's Catholic. I mean, I went to Catholic school all my life. Um, and I was like, but you don't go to church or 
Bible studies, anything like that. And she became very uncomfortable. I tend to do that to people at times. Um, but at that point, some of her sorority girls walked in the back. And the moment she saw them, she ran to them faster than like Jamie Lee Curtis from Mike Myers in a Halloween movie. I mean, I just felt like a murderer at that moment. And she was so uncomfortable. But she asked, you have to ask the question. If she didn't feel comfortable talking to a Catholic priest, a part of her faith, and yet she feels perfectly at home with her sorority girls, with her college, who do you think governs her thoughts? Who do you think tells her what to believe, what is right and what is wrong, and what is good and what is evil? That's what Bishop Fulton Sheen was talking about when he said, Christendom is dead. It's no longer a lived experience in our lives. It's just a faint echo of a word that was long past. So what we're really talking about is what is deemed the imaginative vision of the world. Every culture has an imaginative vision of the world. And it's the vision that determines what we hold to be sacred, what we value, what we agree upon, what we disagree upon, what is important, and what is deemed sinful or evil. All that comes from the imaginative vision of a culture. And so when we say that Christendom is dead, what we're saying is we no longer as a society are motivated in our common vision as a people by Christian principles. It has died and something else has replaced it. And if you want to know why 70% of college students lose their faith when they go to college, it's because of that reality. 75%. And I think in the, just in 1990s, 60% of Americans went to church. Right now, it's down to 20%. 20 years later, 20%. So what is taking the place of what used to be Christendom? Because every vision of the world is governed by laws, commandments, if you will. What you can say, what you can't say, what you can do, what you cannot do. All those flow from the common vision that we hold as sacred. So to ask what the ruling imaginative vision of the United States is, you have to ask, what are the commandments we are told to follow, subconsciously and consciously? And I'm not calling anything good or bad, but if I'm wrong about something, right after Mass is the time to talk about this. And if it's something that's true, it's worth talking about, wrestling over Right, so ask yourself, in your lived experience, is this a truth or not? So let's just look at the Ten Commandments, because the Ten Commandments is what governs a Christian society. So first commandment, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and have no other God before Him. Ask yourself, what's more important in our society? Your faith or your political party? It's the first thing that people really talk about. What's on TV all the time? Where do people get most excited? At what is the truth of the gospel? Or whether you're Republican or Democrat. In our society today, we can hand out condoms in school, but you can't hand out a Bible. Second commandment. Do not use the Lord's name in vain. And yet we hear Jesus Christ and God dang it used in movies, in TV, in music, in common speech, and no one says a word. It's just accepted as the norm. And yet, what is the new sacred name that you cannot pronounce? Personal pronouns. You step on someone's personal pronoun, now that's jail time. 
That's what's most important to us. Keep the Lord's Day holy. Third commandment. 15% of Catholics go to church on Sundays. That's all you included. 15%. 1920s, the bishops found out in America that 20% of Catholics were not going to Mass. They held a special council for that very problem. What are we going to do to make these other 20% of Catholics understand their obligation to go to Sunday Mass, fulfill the third commandment of the Lord? Today, at least 75 to 85% of Catholics don't even go to Mass on Sundays. So if that's not the case, the real question is, what do we do instead? What has replaced the worship of God on Sundays? Sports. Football. Sunday football is what everyone's oriented towards. And that's why you also have whatever you worship on Sunday is also the ones who will tell you what to think and how to act. That's why football commentators, and they're not talking about sports anymore. What are they talking about? What we, should, we, what we should think about COVID, about vaccines, about political parties and social issues. It's not about the games. It's about them telling you what you are to believe because that's the imaginative vision that they're selling us. The fourth commandment, honor your father and your mother. In Christianity, it's a child's responsibility to honor his parents, to care for his parents, regardless of their defects. What's been replaced with that? A general dishonesty and a, a sort of rebellion of rebellion that's being promoted in Disney and our movies that children need to break away from their families, from their over-constricting authority in order to become free. What are the two things you'll never find outside the Western cultures? Babysitters and nursing homes. You don't find that outside the West. Family takes care of family. But when you lose that commandment of God, all of a sudden it's break up a family. Once you can't take care of yourself, we'll put you with someone else. And that's exactly why family's breaking up in our times. Fifth commandment, thou shalt not kill. This whole idea that every single human being has equal dignity, that we're trying to hold up so large for those who are alive, that came from Christianity. That didn't exist in any other culture outside the Christian faith. That every single human being has equal dignity that must be protected no matter what, from conception to natural death. So when you take away Christianity, you immediately lose the presuppositions that come with our faith. And that's why immediately what comes on the uprise? Abortion and euthanasia. Because your value no longer comes from who you are as an individual, but what you can produce for society. That's communism. Sixth commandment, always the hardest. Prohibition on adultery and fornication. Living together outside of marriage and having sex outside of marriage has become the new norm. Because marriage is no longer sacred. The first thing that you find in every culture that has had the Christian faith and that has lost it, you only have to look at one thing to see the decline of Christianity in that nation. And you will see an uprising of impurity, of sex outside of marriage, and a breakup of family. Because without Christ and his gospel, the family cannot hold as a unit. And those values 
have been replaced by news. If it feels good, do it. It's your body, your choice. You get to do whatever you want with it. Instead of belonging to our Lord Jesus Christ, who gives us his body, your body is yours, and don't let anybody tell you what you can do with it. Thou shalt not lie. I think this is one of the biggest ones, and that's why this, every single one of you are paying attention right now. This isn't usually talked about. We stop speaking the truth. I think we're afraid to speak the truth in our times. Because the truth can only come from Jesus Christ, who gives us the freedom to live outside of fear. But we are living in a society that that is increasingly making us afraid to speak what we believe to be God-given truth. George Orwell once said, in a time of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. But in our society now, feelings have replaced truth. So no matter how true what you have to say, if it hurts the person's feelings, it cannot be pronounced. And that's by little by little, cancer culture is picking up. And even Dave Chappelle, the greatest comedian of all time, can't speak truth freely without being threatened with being canceled. That's why we need comedians more than ever, because at least they know how to stand up and tell a culture when it's getting off the rails. Once Dave Chappelle is canceled, there's no hope left for any of us, by the way. (laughs) But there's a saying, evil preaches tolerance until it is dominant. Then it seeks to silence the good. For a long time, evil and sinful ways have been preaching tolerance to us. And now that it is dominant, it is little by little trying to silence the voice of truth and what is good. And thou shalt not envy other persons or their belongings. If you really want to understand what is the imaginative vision that is slowly taking over our country, that is determining our values, what is good and what is bad, Google today a 10-minute video on social Marxism. Marxism is philosophical and sociological envy of other people's goods and other people's persons. And that's why there's an increasing hostility between classes of peoples, not individual persons. Because in social Marxism, you are not an individual. You belong to a class of people. Individuals only came with Christianity. Outside of that, you get classes. That's why Martin Luther King has no place in our current society. For he said, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation. Well, they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. In our new imaginative vision in America, it has nothing to do with the content of one's character. If you're white, you're a racist. If you're a man, you're sexist. If you're an American, you're prejudiced. And if you're rich, you're an oppressor. And are there people like that? Most definitely. But does that define us as a people, as a whole, for who we are as individuals? Most definitely not. So those are just some of the new commandments of the imaginative vision that is slowly taking over our society at the end of Christendom. So yes, maybe that priest was right. Maybe we are at the end of Christendom. 
And that's why in this time, we need a new vision as Christians. We need the vision of Jesus Christ in today's gospel. And Jesus Christ wasn't looking at the great offerings of the rich. His vision was encapsulated by the poverty of a single widow. We look at the outside, how big and grandiose the face should be, like cathedrals stretching high over a city. But Christ is looking at the poor, humble offerings of those who are willing to give him everything out of their poverty. And I see that widow's might in so many of you at St. Paul's. I see it today in you who are willing to come here when so many around you do not. I see that in every student who I come here and find kneeling in front of adoration all by themselves in an empty church. I see it in so many of the women who are suffering the consequences of holding on to their dignity, even though men around them won't respond to that sacred promise that they've held of their own virginity. I see that in men who come to me fighting against the sexual passions in this degraded society where men are just getting more and more accustomed to using women for their own pleasure. In gazing upon that cathedral in Minnesota, I saw the rich offerings of old. But in returning here to St. Paul's, I witness every day the widow's might in so many of you. And that's what Christ sees too. Not the great riches of cathedrals, but the humble offerings of poor souls. That woman had so little, and yet she gave it all. And we too have little to offer in our times. But if we're willing to give it all for Jesus Christ, maybe it means more to him than the greatest offerings of old that took place in Christendom years past. A few poor, silent, humble men and women who are willing to give everything for Jesus Christ and our faith. To lay it down as a living sacrifice for his church. And in that way, we too will come to see and experience for ourselves the imagined vision of Jesus Christ and his kingdom.